Welcome to the Hunt League Podcast, where we share hunting stories from the field that help pave the way for others to follow. It's like I said in my application, it gives me the mama I made it kind of feeling, you know, like I didn't grow up doing this. This is your host, Jared Newman. Let's get started. All right, welcome to uh, a live podcast. So we're, we're doing a video podcast tonight, so we're going to post this up on YouTube. But what this podcast is, is we are in the final stages of the 2022 Outdoorsman of the Year. Uh, this is Jared Newman, uh, founder of Hunt League, and we have our three finalists that are have been nominated and selected by our judges panel. Um, again, we have a judges panel made up of five people. We have the 2021 Outdoorsman of the Year, Grayson McBride. We have... Uh, you know, a judge from Vortex Optics, a judge from Remington, a judge from Mountain Tough Fitness, and a judge, who am I missing? Um, you guys know the judges, right? <laughs> oh, Bear Hunting Magazine. Bear. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I was like, where am I at? Where am I at? I'm missing something. Okay. So we got Colby from Bear Hunting Magazine. Those are our five judges that have reviewed multiple candidates. Um, at the end of the day, you are the top three. So the people that are on this podcast with me today, um, I've got Josh Dishman from Oregon, Cody Peritor again from Oregon. This is a, the first time it's a Pacific Northwest sweep. Uh, it was almost an Oregon sweep, but Ray from Washington, they let a Washington man in. It's the first time ever we've had somebody from Washington uh, as a finalist in the outdoors of the year. So congratulations, all three of you guys. I mean, this is truly uh, an honor to be selected in this. There were a lot of really amazing candidates and people that put together great seasons. But in the midst of that, reading through you guys' applications, seeing your interaction and engagement with our community, you are the three that rose to the top. So uh, super excited to have you to do this. What we're going to do on this podcast is we're going to do a little bit of a preview of maybe some of the questions that you might get asked by some of the judges. It's kind of considered a warm-up round, but it's also going to let the Huntley community hear some of your stories and what made your seasons so special. So I'm going to get started. Uh, we're going to run this right at an hour. I'm looking at the clock right now. Uh, so we've got one hour to get this all knocked out. And I'm going to start with you, Josh, just because where you're positioned on my screen. So Josh, first question to you. You obviously put together a good season, but I want you to walk through maybe some of the biggest adversities that you faced this year. Well, for one, I would definitely say it would be Wyoming. It was probably some of the hardest mule deer hunting I've ever done in my life. What what, uh, we, what made it so difficult? We, uh, just, just no deer. You know, uh, a guy told us about the unit, which was, he's been there before, but it is a... Uh, migratory unit we just didn't have the weather but uh we put over 70 miles on the ground in two weeks see you know we seen deer every day just no no bucks of the caliber we went there to, to shoot and i mean it was some of the hardest glassing that i've ever done you know eight ten hour day just non-stop glassing to maybe see 10 deer maybe see a fork and horn <laughs> And uh, it's like, man, I maybe I should have just stayed home. <laughs> how did that, that trip? Probably, how did that trip end? I I know. Did you end up getting one on the ground? Did get little 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 forking horns at the end, but you know, like I say, it wasn't what we went there for. But we came back with something. And how long? That was a ten day trip. 
two and a half weeks. Yeah, so, so you really grinded that one out. We went out there to look for antelope, which I wound up shooting it on the first day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then it turned into, you know, we're going to go scout for some mule deer. And then it turned into, one, like I say, one of the hardest hunts I've ever done. Wow. And okay. To a local guy, and he said, you know, just so you know, this is a general unit for us Wyoming guys. And we're like, what's that mean? He's like, well, if we, if we shoot a buck, then we can just go to the store and buy another tag. So they were just shooting deer left and right. Plus there were three other seasons going on. There was moose season, doe season, antelope season, and mule deer buck season, all going at the same time. Oh, elk. So I guess there was oh, five wow. seasons. Wow. It was, it was a grind, but I tell you what, it was fun. Great. All right. We're going to kind of lightning round it. So Cody, biggest adversities you faced this year. Uh, the most challenging thing I did this year was my archery deer season. I didn't talk too much about it in hunt league, but it was not easy for me this year. It was only my second season doing it, but uh, wounded a deer on the very beginning of season, hit a deer high and uh, spent two days looking for it just to be certain with my dad. We gritted the crap out of the hillside that we were on and never found anything couple spots of blood and that was it i talked to my local archery shop and all kinds of stuff but that really got to get you in a downer mood and uh took about a week off and then after that uh experienced like what stuck in the string i never really thought it was a thing for blacktails but i guess it is because i had deer ducking like completely ducking the string at 20 yards from a ground blind tree stand like it was it was incredibly rough like i almost hung up the bow a couple times it was it really wears you down when you practice a lot. And so I sat in tree stands for weeks, it felt like. And so just how hard blacktail hunting is. I mean, like Josh <laughs> does it, you know, but it's like, it's just so hard and you just go days without seeing anything. And then something comes up and you screw up an opportunity like that. Like that, that was probably one of the more difficult things I went through this season was the blacktail season itself. Absolutely. You know, when it's kind of an interesting thing where uh, here we are talking to the outdoors of the year finalists. And, you know, you think that we're just going to start talking about the successes you had and the great highlights. We'll save some of that for the judges interviews. But I mean, I think the reality is you guys didn't just go out there and get super lucky. Every time you went out, there were some elements that you really faced, uh, some adversity, some disappointment, some frustration. So it wasn't all highlights this year. You definitely had to, to, you know, to stay at it and kind of persevere. So Ray, Give me yes, some, what was, uh, what was some of the adversity that you had to face this year? Uh, my main issue was trying to hunt species. I've never experienced hunting. Um, I looked them up a few times on the internet and thought I'd go for it. So I did the high mountain mule deer hunt. Didn't have any idea how to hunt mule deer and went out to the Hellway. If you ever hear of the Selway in Idaho, it's called the Hellway for a reason because it's super, super steep and unrelentless you know you you go down the canyon and three miles down and you're looking three miles straight up to get back to the truck um mm. I had to push through and find out how much my body could actually handle and i always see it on tv and youtube and these guys are doing these high canyon hunts and i wanted to try it um and when, when i was out there i realized how tough that hunt was and it, it's earned its name the hellway i threw up on the way back to the truck once so um Along with the the high high altitude alpine black bear hunt I went on, took my son up there 
I had no idea how to hunt bear. I didn't know where we we're going to find them. I just watched a couple of YouTube videos. Um, that was, that was a whole learning thing in itself. I, I had to learn how to, uh, pick them out. I, I was hunting bear down in lower Idaho forever and I couldn't even pick them out and I get confused them with stumps. And then we get to this high Alpine lakes and the first 10 minutes we spot this giant bear and I'm like, Oh, that's what they look like in the spotting scope. And <laughs> I didn't know. so I think, um, yeah, along with that, that caribou, I didn't know how to hunt caribou. I didn't know their mannerisms. So it was about learning all these different animals and how to hunt them just without any experience. Yeah. You took on, you took on some really new challenges. I mean, Cody, you said that's only really the second year that you've, you know, chased deer. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, I think taking on species, not just uh, new species, but also new terrain types, you know, from hunting in the tundra to hunting high elevation, there's a lot, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of adversity there. There's a, there's a big learning curve there. So Awesome. Awesome. Uh, first volley of questions. All of your stories this year, um, involved helping other people be successful, involved mentoring, involved connecting with others. So, uh, you know, whether that was, you know, family members or whether that was new hunters, youth hunters, that type of thing, each of you guys, uh, had stories, had posts, had hunt logs filled with those types of things throughout the year which I think in our judges panel was really significant for them because they don't want to just put somebody in here and say, all right, we're going to nominate this guy because they just killed everything they saw. They look at what you're doing for the hunting community. Tell me a little bit about some of the hunts that you were able to do this year and, you know, the journey that you were able to bring other people in, uh, you know, into those hunts. All right. Um, First off, uh, first part of the season, starting February last year, I hosted my uh, Coyote Derby. And that's just to bring the community in, bring the people that like-minded hunters together. We can go out, hunt, come back, BS for a little bit. So that was my way of bringing our community closer and getting meet new outdoor people. Um, But uh, my son was with me on that team. And then I have five little ones here. Uh, Well, Daniel's 14. He's not little, but um i've taken the three that actually like to go uh my daughter and my two two boys they've gone with me every almost every hunt this year um minus the bison and one and out the hellway but uh i took cole he's he's eight years old i took him up the high alpine lake he hiked seven eight miles and um showed him how to sneak and how to find bears and he really (laughs) thought that was he just he can't wait until he can hunt and Daniel's been with me since he's been two. He's been on my backpack and, and uh, he's been hunting since then. My daughter, I took her out almost every every weekend. I got to go see her. I bring her out. We go out and sit in the field and wait for deer. And she'd be out there in her dress and her shoes because she thinks that she doesn't want to go wear a camel. She just wants to sit in the brush with her dress on. And How I old really is got she? Down. She's uh, going to be 12. So she okay. got her first deer on video a couple of years ago. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, I took the, that's what I, I just got those, those three kids going out, but I'm pretty proud of the, one of the guys that work, he's, I tell him all the time about my stories and how things I hunt and he's been wanting to do it for a year or so now. And he, we had him up on online and he did his hunter's ed and we took him out turkey hunting. Him and I went out for a little bit and called in a coyote while he was turkey hunting. So he got his first coyote and his first kill ever on a turkey hunt. And then, yeah, that was 
pretty cool to actually get an adult to be mentored. Like you usually think of little kids, but um, a guy my age never been out. He's so excited about it, but finally got him. <laughs> Did you guys do that with a shotgun or what'd you use? 12 gauge, right? You know, 10, 15 yards. It just kept coming to the decoy. Unbelievable. That's super fun. Were you in a blind? No, we were up against a big bull pine. Okay. Yeah. That's and I was, I was like, don't move. He's, he's still looking at you. Don't <laughs> that's so cool okay uh cody to you um you know this is this question is just about the different people that you got to to journey with and uh you know doing a podcast and people getting to see some of the posts inside the huntley community from you this year you know a lot of your hunts centered around family and uh i think several of our judges you know, took notice of that. And we're just like, you know, it's so important, you know, and that's not to say that Ray's your work, you know, yours was all with your kids and those types of things, you know, Cody, you're not at the stage in life where you're taking your kids out yet. Um, but you had brothers, siblings, a dad, and you got to share a lot of your hunts this year with family. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that you got, uh, kind of mentoring, participating, enjoying hunts with your family. Um, yeah. So my main hunting partners are my brother and my dad. Um, it's it really helpful that we all work together. We have a small family business. So I see them every day and we can get to the woods in 20 minutes or less. So after work, we leave a lot together. Um, so like turkey hunting is where my season starts as well. And, uh, consists of me and my dad, and my brother going out, you know, with the family business, one of us has to be here if we're going to be gone during hours. So this year it was a lot of just me and my dad. Um, and so that is where I was mentored a lot growing up was through turkey hunting. That's all we ever did. Um, so in that one, the roles where my dad is doing a lot of the teaching, even still today. Um, but we went out and sitting with him and we killed two birds together. Um, each time we went out and we killed, it was a double, whether it was at the same time or a few hours later. Um, we had two doubles this spring with my dad. Um, and then my dad and my brother went on some hunts. but So that's how my season started, spending a lot of time with my family doing that. And then in the fall is when the rules kind of reverse. I didn't grow up big game hunting. Um, it's where I kind of view it as like mentoring my dad and my brother, even though we're all still learning together. Um, in our group, I'm definitely the one who does all the scouting, takes the e-courses online and all that different stuff. It's just what I love. So it's where the rules are kind of reversed. And uh, it started off with elk elk would be first uh elk season was incredible that's why i talked about last time when we were here on the podcast we had three bulls in like six days of actually hunting it was crazy um all here on the oregon coast all with archery gear it was just an inc incredible season and it started off with my dad and i both killing on the same day again and uh slightly separate we were in communication via like radios and stuff and we knew what was going on with each other and we're in constant contact but we were still a little bit separated when that happened and then uh my brother said he was going to take a chill pill and wait for the elk to start really bugling because we killed like september 28th or 29th whatever the second day of season was so they were or sorry august, august so they were just, yeah they were just barely bugling we heard like four bugles that day and so we waited almost two weeks before we went back out again, which was absolutely killing me. I wish I knew more people <laughs> around here to take, you know, but all my friends drew East tags. So in Oregon, you have to pick, you either draw East or you do the general West. So there was no one to go hunting with. So we just kind of sat around. And then, uh, the last week of September, it was go time. He wanted to wait till they were bugling to get the experience. And so, uh, in the summertime I had taken Chris Rose, uh, elk 
course. So we're really going to go out there and test some of those theories. And uh, it was my favorite hunt by far, which we might get into later, but went out again with my brother and it was just the two of us. My dad was on the car headed to California on business and uh, just two of us, two kids that five years ago hadn't even seen an elk, you know, <laughs> it's like, and we happened to call a bull into 20 yards and my brother put an arrow right through him. Um, it was, that was my favorite hunt. And then after that, we moved on to mule deer, never been mule deer hunting before. Uh, my brother, we have a buttload of points in Oregon. Like my brother had nine, I have 14. My dad's got 15. Wow. He's been buying points for us since we were kids, even though we didn't big game hunt like elk. I have 15 elk points, but we just started elk hunting. So I'm very thankful for that. But, uh, <laughs> we're in no man's land in Oregon with that amount of points, you know, most yeah. stuff takes six or less or 20. So uh, my brother took one for the team and burnt his points on like a higher end point unit, but nothing's phenomenal in Oregon. And uh, we'd never been, so went to the computer, went scouting a lot, talking to biologists and just doing everything I could. That's what I love to do. I had like hundreds of waypoints by the time we actually left. And it's not nothing to knock my brother, but I don't even think he could tell you what drainage we were in. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that's just how it is. It's like, it feels like a guide sometimes, but I absolutely love it. And uh, so we went to mule deer hunting and that stuff is no joke. We spent, well, it only ended up being three days, but it felt like an eternity. <laughs> when you're seeing like two people for every half a deer you see, it's like, it's horrible. You know, there was people everywhere road hunting and we ended up packing into the wilderness first time backpack hunting and uh, we killed on the way out and it, it was fun, but it was, we learned we're not huge mule deer hunter fans. You know, it's, it's a different kind of game. I kind of like my blacktails a little bit more. They're a little more predictable. The country's different, but we were trying a uh, timber. So next time I'm gonna try like a sage style hunt sure. for mule deer. And then uh, that was all three of us were together, even though my brother was the only one with the tag. And then the last hunt was my sister's cow hunt. And uh, she was able to, she's not, she didn't, she grew up obviously in a hunting family, but she's never been heavily involved in hunting. And uh, she killed one turkey long time ago. The photo, she looks like she's 10 years old and she's mid twenties now. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and she's, uh, so but she told me she wanted to kill a cow this year or try. She wanted to kill an elk. And so I found a hunt that she could do here where she could do a, a cow tag. That's good for like four months. It's a very long season. And we put her in for some like private land that issues through a lottery system. And she actually was able to draw a tag, which was pretty low odds. And it's for only a week. And so we ended up doing a lot of research in that and took her out. And on the second trip out, she was able to kill her first, uh, yeah, cow. Big game. And, yeah. And then I tried, I went hunting with my friend Monzi one time. He's on hunt league also. Yeah. Schedules are hard, so we don't match up a lot, but yeah, we, we thought I might be able to sprinkle a little bit of luck on his season. Cause at that point we'd killed a bunch of animals. Well, yeah, we went out and all we saw was people also. So <laughs> Josh, we'll, we'll hit you. You know, one of the things that, uh, you're kind of not just this season famous for, but I mean, just season over season, one of the things that you're obviously passionate about is taking uh, new hunters or other people out and helping them be successful. How many people did you help find success this year? Uh, I think we wound up filling 10 tags. I think, uh, I mean, those are all different, you know, from turkey to deer, elk. Uh, so it was the the hardest part was being in Wyoming and then coming back and only having two weeks to really lay the hammer down. Sure. Uh, that was, it was a struggle. Uh, but we did make it happen. Like I say, we, uh, starting out with my nephew, you know, he's 12. 
got his turkey in the spring. His dad just passed away. So he looked up to me, called me. He's like, Uncle, will you, will you take me hunting? I said, well, of course, you know. So he's he's playing a big part in my life because, you know, I want to make sure I keep that fire alive, you know, for him. So, yeah. Uh, like Ray, I did have a an adult mentor. You know, she was 40 years old. And she was always the type that uh, she didn't mind people shooting deer, but she said to her, to us years and years that she would never be able to pull the trigger. Well, it changed her mind this year. She called us up and said, Hey, you know, my freezer went out. Uh, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, get a deer tag. So she got a deer tag and she shot her first deer. And it was, uh, it was an awesome moment because she really got into it. She got, she got jacked up. It really moved her, huh? Even she said, I want to gut it. She wanted, she wanted to do everything and she did it. So you, did she process and do, do everything herself later? Did you guys just gut it and then take it to a processor? She did the whole thing from the start to the beginning or from beginning to the end. They grinded it. So, so like the blessing, because it was a, you know, the freezer went out and uh, so the meat came at a good time. Wow. Like I said, uh my son's girlfriend you know she was a first time shooter uh she got her deer and uh like i say those experiences are priceless i mean they're they're better than me shooting something myself you know that's awesome i'm gonna do i'm gonna take a what we'll, we'll kind of segue i mean i've kind of given you an adversity question a mentoring question let's let's hit some highlights i have my phone out i'm gonna do a screen share and let's see let's see if we can pull this off but uh were you guys able to see my screen? Yes. Yep. Yep. So Josh, I asked each of you to share maybe a highlight hunt with me. So I've got kind of one from each of you saved right here on top of my hunt logs. Um, Josh, you're up first on this just because that's where you're at on the screen. So I'm going to, I'm going to click into this. This was a highlight, uh, you know, kind of a highlight hunt log for you. So tell me what's going on here. I'm, I mean, I wish that you were the one controlling this because, uh, holy mackerel, yeah, <laughs> we got we got something fun coming. Um, so that was the star of the morning. We spotted a couple of does. The fog was the fog was getting super bad that morning, and uh, we decided to walk some decommissioned roads. We had a pretty big fire here a couple of years ago, so. It, it burnt, I think, 130,000 acres or something. Wow. So we decided to walk a decommissioned road and look at some bluffs at the end. And that's when that happened. Good so that's Tom. Night. Thomas is, he, he's had a pretty good uh, run of shooting big bucks. He, uh, he shot a big caliber buck last year with a muzzleloader. And then he shot that thing this year. And uh, there I mean, was that, another. That's a giant blacktail. Yeah, we, we figure roughly 140 something inches. I mean, it has mass, it has height, it's got deep forks. I mean, it's not super deep up front, but like, you know, we're talking like for a blacktail, I mean, that is just massive. He's super tall. That's a beautiful, beautiful deer. I don't know if I shared the body of the deer where he's laying beside or not. Oh, oh yeah. 
you know, blacktail around here, usually you might get one that, you know, you get a hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, I, I think this buck went the 200 pound mark. <laughs> I, it looks, I mean, I don't know how big that young man is, but I mean, it looks every bit of a 200 pound deer. Like the body on that is huge. It was a big blacktail. And the past two years, these deer in these burns, we've been pulling deer out like that that size i mean it's just been insane i don't know what they're what they're eating because there ain't much for grass so there's something in the dirt i guess i don't know wow that's beautiful country too just looking at this i mean i know it's all burned up but you know just seeing all these valleys and glassing points but yeah a lot of people ask me well you know why are you hunting the burn i said you, you may not think the deer are there but i said the deer are there Wow. This is fun. I, I love being able to go through hunts that have been shared. So you ran into quite a few mamas and babies, huh? Oh, yeah. Lots of does and fawns, which is always a good sign, especially after a big fire. Okay. So this this is a du – you doubled down on this day. Yeah. So this is my son's girlfriend. Wow. So that was her first buck. So she was excited. Yeah, we, we told her it wasn't a big. We told her it wasn't a big one, and she said, "I don't care." I she said, said I, "Okay, I want that one." Yeah, I, you know, that's the way I've always been with anybody. If you know, I would love to see everybody get a big buck, but you know, if if they say, "Well, I want to shoot that one," I ain't never gonna say, "No, don't shoot that one." That's what you want to shoot. I'm I'm more happy to help you go get it. You know. Looks like that that looks like a pretty long day too, starting at 534 in the morning and then busting it till you know till dark. But uh pulling two deer out, I can understand why that's a highlight day. Cody, I'm diving into yours. So this yes. is Kyle's bowl. Uh you you had mentioned just in the previous question that doing that with Kyle and that, that was a uh a highlight for you. So mm -hmm. walk me through this. You're starting at 4 p.m. So unlike Josh's hunt. You know, Josh was out at 5.30 in the morning or whatever, starting early. Is this like an after work hunt or what are we dealing with here? Yeah, so this is after, we actually left work a little bit early that day. Um, one, our head guy here took over for us so that we could take off at like 3.30 just to give us, because uh, we were out the day before and ran out of daylight. If we'd had a little more daylight, we probably would have killed the day before. Well, we made the mistake of splitting up too. And uh, I didn't have a tag, so you probably should never split up. And of course, I found the bull at like 50 yards and ran to get my brother, and it got it got dark. So we left a little bit earlier this day. Um, we hunt a lot in the afternoons. We're not huge in the morning hunting. I mean, even with turkeys, most people are out there roosting them and stuff. I much prefer evening hunts. I'm not sure why, but we've had so much more success in the evening. So yeah, this one was leave work a little bit early and head out to the elk woods. And uh, we had a rough idea of where they were because, like I said, we had been grinding it out this week. So we knew where to start. We were headed to what we call the new thin stuff on a piece of – we sent private timber companies um, is the name of the game on the West Coast here. And so we're in some uh, timber that they thinned. And it's a small maybe five acres. It's a very small area, but it's way down in the bottom of a canyon. 
and uh, you don't have to get too specific now people are going to start looking you just gave (laughs) yeah now now josh already knows we're gonna have a heck of a time (laughs) i have a heck of a time finding it i promise you Uh, from the the, uh, images are not updated on onyx i will just say that (laughs) so uh um uh so yeah they're down in the bottom so my brother and i jump on our bikes and we start riding down it's like a mile ride down to the bottom and uh Sure enough, we started to hear him. Um, in the very beginning, we heard a bull bugle way down off in the bottom. And uh, we get down to the bottom, and there is bull bugling. Nothing intense, but he's bugling on and off. So we start sneaking in. And same thing, made the mistake of me leading again. I don't have a tag, mind you. I've already filled my tag. I was leading the pack, and it's just my brother and I. And he's behind me, maybe six, five, six yards, something like that. I poke my head around a tree, and sure enough, there's a big bull feeding 10 yards it feels like in front of me so i just step i step backwards tell him there's a bull right there and uh, like i said right there i told kyle to move up he peeks around the corner and he doesn't see anything I, i just couldn't believe it because that bull was right there and sure enough he bugles but he, he had moved off in the timber maybe like 15 20 yards to the right but the stuff's so thick we're by kind of a creek bottom draw so on the coast here you can't even see that far so that's where we start seeing elk up on the hillside next to us also. Um, like if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see that I make a mention of a spike catching us. Yeah, and we didn't see him because we're watching to the right and it's thin going up and to our left. The right-hand side is the creek bottom, which is thick, which is where the bull went. Left is really open. Sure enough, there's a spike ends up being up on the hillside just staring at us. Yeah. And I got a decoy. I have one of those... Uh, Miss Montana, or no, Miss September, sorry, yeah. Miss September. <laughs> the booty decoy. Sucker. Yeah, I popped that sucker out, and I'm like flashing it, trying to get this spike <laughs> to leave us alone. And and we're opportunistic hunters, especially this would be my brother's third bull if he killed it. So we, uh, we're killing the first legal animal, and a spike is a legal animal in our unit. And so if the spike was, it was about 80 yards. If it was closer, he would have shot. Um, he's just not comfortable to that, and he doesn't have a slider. So uh, we sat there for what felt like ever with this spike pinning us down, and uh, we just eventually moved off, barked at us. I'd bark back. It just kind of walked away. Meanwhile, the big bull is still bugling, um, slowly moving towards private, though. We're like we're playing that game of being on the line where this area is. Yeah. And so um, uh, what's it say? Oh, yeah, the last bugle. So the, the spike left, the bu- bull bugled one more time, and he was he's down on private. And so at that point, um, we knew he wasn't. We like He can sit there. He probably will come back. They didn't wind us or anything. But I asked Kyle, I was like, what do you want to do? And he tells me, let's just go. We know there's more elk in this area. And so uh, we picked up when we rode, and as you can see in the hunt log, we just rode our bikes. It's maybe a quarter mile distance, but it's yeah. up, as the crow flies, it's up and down. And with how thick it is here, we call every 200 yeah. yards at most. I mean, I'm looking at this. You got a, a call. You bugle at 520, bugle at 530, bugle at 545, bugle at yeah. 548. You know, you just move in and call and move yeah, in and so call. Yeah, so we're just covering ground. The area, we know this area super well. It's, I mean, we've been hunting it since we started what, four years, five years ago. And uh, so we know where the elk hang in this area that we were going through. We've never really seen elk in it before, but it's all good country. So you're just bugling as we go, you know, the born, born and raised cat road shuffle. I decided to lead with a calf call, lost calf call this time. And sure enough, like a bull hammers us back. And then uh, five minutes later, the bull's standing there. You can see I've been not a whole lot of hunt log. It's hard to hunt log when a bull's bugling at you. But uh, pretty much his cow called him in. He uh, he came in to 20 yards. My brother drew back. Uh, 
no good shot. The bull had to find a different way around the briars. It's just so yeah. thick here. He had to go around the briars, come in a different direction. And he ended up coming in broadside to my brother at 20 yards. Couldn't see me because I was just in a ditch. And he let out the weirdest thing. Like right there, it's like he let out a bugle that was quiet and wimpy. It was the weirdest little sound you heard, but it was just like, ee. Like, Wait, and that so was is, that is, was how loud. Is it this was. the unicorn bull that you're? Yeah. This <laughs> yeah. is the one that's doing the yeah, wimpy this is bugle lefty. right here. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so he just, he bugles and he's just like, ee, ee. and that's it. That's literally how loud it was. And it was so obvious to me. It's like, he's looking for you. Like, where are you? And then there, my brother's at full draw right during that time. And you don't uh, have the shot on video, do you? No, you can't see okay. him. I can just barely see the antler tips of the bull. He's like right through the bushes is where the bull is. And my brother shoots. Wait, that, was, that was him shooting though, right? Yeah, but you can't actually see anything. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't see the elk, but I saw <laughs> No, if, if you trigger. look hard enough in the twigs all right there of that that bush, yeah. the, you can just barely see the tips of the antler turn and, and, and run after he shoots. And uh, so that was where it was. I tried to get it oh, on Oh, I do see it. On the yeah, far? So you can like, yeah, yeah, you just barely can see it. And so this was a good thing we had this too, because as the story gets into later, we didn't find any blood. And so I thought he missed, but this video, you can hear the thump of the arrow hit. So yeah. it was a good thing I did the video. I mean, I figured I didn't have anything to lose. The bull couldn't see me from where I was because of the, the hump and the, the hill. Cause I was literally in a ditch. Like we rode the bikes, got a bugle threw the bikes on the ground. I jumped in the ditch and he got in the bushes and, uh, the bull ran off and we didn't find one drop of blood. It was, uh, right through the heart, but the arrow hit the sternum. And so the bull didn't arrow bleed at all. In. Yeah, yeah, so the arrow, he broke the arrow off. It went in, like, literally in his armpit. And so when he brought his leg back, it seals up, sealed up the wound. And all the blood was between his hide and the meat. All the blood pooled there. And so we didn't find a single drop of blood on the ground, not even at the kill site where he died. No coughed up blood, no nothing. It just went right through his heart, stuck in the sternum. And he went 150 yards. And we, we could hear him coughing up on the hill is the only yeah. reason we knew a direction to go. I'm going to call you out because before we started the podcast, you were saying, oh, great. Now people will see my spelling. So I like I like this sentence. <laughs> I even no tried to all. fix them. <laughs> <laughs> While standing there, we could hear the bull coughing. Coughing. Um, so that that must oh. be an organ thing when they when they cow. The, yeah, it's a little different. Life. <laughs> yeah, it's a real death sounding one. All right. Well, and then yeah, and then we got my brother coming up on his bull that we found. I walked up to it because again, I don't have a, a weapon, and he had to clear shot at thirty-five yards in case the bull jumped up, um, even though it was definitely like upside down and head all twisted. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I walked up to it, and we were just stoked because, like I said, we were following. Oh, a briars turned the wrong way, or maybe he went down this trail or that trail. There was no blood, so we were really, really thankful to find this bull. Unbelievable. So this is first contact right here. Yeah, this is the first time that he's catching a, uh, a good glimpse of the bull up close. We've only ever had trail cam footage of the bull. What and a it was... giant bull! And it's so oh. bizarre. He's just one, one. Yeah, side. we taped we taped him out, and like because we have photos of him in velvet. He had both antlers. And right after the rut really started to get into swing is when he lost the other one because the other bull that he was hanging out with in the summertime was the one running the cows. And mm -hmm. so they must have been fighting. And we don't know if he had a wound or not, because at the pedicle, when we were boiling the skull, the pedicle split open. And so we're not sure if there was some sort of wound that oh, gave maybe it, like, like an a, infection or something. Yeah, that weakened, where it though. caused it to come loose because it, it was literally broken off at the pedicle. There wasn't like any antler still attached. 
And so, and we have him in velvet, so we know he had both sides. And we taped him out. It should be, if every guessing, you know, our spread guess and stuff like that, it would be right around a three hundred inch Roosevelt, yeah. which is pretty which big is for giant. a Rosie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's super cool. Like most animals have the ground shrinkage, right? And this one just got bigger. We put him up in the garage, and my brother told me every time he looks at him, he gets bigger. <laughs> Well, I, I'm just surprised that you and your brother are still friends with one of you wearing Sitka and the other first light. Oh, you but. know, I know. I tried to get him to switch, but he's just, he says it's ugly, so he won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got good taste. He's got good taste. I started off with first oh, there, light, too. There's the, there's the bull. That was the night before. Unreal. Yeah, about right. a quarter mile away, that picture was taken. We got to speed up because uh, that was an, that's an epic hunt, but I can get lost just looking at the details and love hearing the story. Ray. I'm kicking yeah. it to you, big man. Uh, so we are dealing with a bison. I have, I don't have a clue how to hunt a bison. This is legendary just to like get to see a bison hunt log. So walk me so, through a bison hunt. First off, this is what I first started trying to use the app, and I didn't really post too many cool things on here like the other guys did. <laughs> so um, um, I never thought I'd be able to hunt a bison. Um I was watching Randy Newberg kill one in New Mexico and, and I was like, well, that doesn't seem so, so bad, you know, just sneak up on him like a cow. So I'm going to um, look it up and I look up on the internet and try to find a spot where I can go and can't get into New Mexico. That's a long, long draw. So I started looking at these ranches and I had no idea, but 25 miles from my mom's house is a bison ranch. I had no idea. Nobody knew. Um, I guess they sell two hunts a year. And I was their second hunt of ever. So um, we uh, went over there and visited them. And they said, yeah, we have 300 acres on this side and 400 on the other side. And we've got a bunch of, you know, bison you can hunt. And um, they're wild as heck. They She said they don't go in yeah. there um, in their pen to feed them because they are wild and the bulls are aggressive. And it's, it's, it's rutting season right now. So they say they, they go with the tractor for safety and drop hay get out of there pretty quick and uh so we uh get my i get my brother and his son-in-law to go do a uh uh for the camera so we can put this on youtube and uh we start sneaking out there with the bow and we see you know the 50 herd of, head of the buffalo up on the top of the hill and we work our way to them and we get within 100 yards peek our heads over the top and we can see the backs of them and just out of nowhere their eyesight is amazing i had no idea but they can just whiplash and see you out of nowhere but i, I thought they would be like dumb like a so, cow yeah i would think they, it'd be more like a moose or something like moose have terrible eyes you know like i would not expect that so how like when you're saying that they would spot you and turn and move out how what what distance were you at when they would just you know that they, they wouldn't let you get closer within with no cover out in some of the open spots about 200 200 yards if they felt that you were coming to them they would they would bunch up. One would take off. The other one would follow him. And then pretty soon it's like a stampede. They just all duh, 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 out of there. And, and it's, it's intense. It's like dances with wolves with the, you know, the stampeding and the sound and the thunder. And so I got to the point where we realized they weren't going to come after us. So we kept trying to corner them off with the bow and I'd get around uh, up in the tree line and, and try to head them off. And then they'd pick me out of the brush. They get, 80 yards they'd pick me out of the brush and take off back the other direction um so we chased these bison for i think almost four hours wow back and did, forth did you only have like one day that you could hunt the ranch like i don't know how that works 
I'm sure she would have let me try more since I paid for them. Um, but yeah, that one day they were only available that weekend and then I have to wait till next weekend. Okay. Uh, they'd run away and run back. It It's such a vast wide area that by the time we got back to where they were, it'd take 20, 30 minutes to hike up to where they are and set up another stock and then they'd booger out. Okay. Um, I, this third time we picked out this bull here. Um, he was one of the bigger ones and every time they'd run off, he'd be leading them and they'd, they'd all congregate around him. So we figured he was the more mature bull. I'd say after a while, I felt bad for them. I felt like I was just running them back and forth. So I let him go take a break and we went back to the house and got the 300 ultra mag. Yeah. Uh, set up on one of the hillsides and they were only two, 300 yards away feeding across and we just trying to pick this bull out of the herd and they were so close together you couldn't get a shot a safe shot at all so one he would step forward and i'd about to pull the trigger and a calf would walk behind him and it so was it, so it was challenging though everything from the bow to the rifle like it didn't just get easy when you put the rifle in hand no that that was the big problem i figured it would be just like going out and shooting a cow i wasn't i wasn't too proud of it until i actually hunted them because it it wasn't it wasn't like uh, shooting a fish in a bucket. These guys, they, they spotted you quick. You couldn't, as soon as you stick your head over the hill, you see one on the videos. I stick my head over the hill just barely, and, and one catches his eye, and they just take off, and the hunt's blown. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he was like 180, 200 yards, and um, finally stepped out from everybody, and I, I put one right through his neck, and he fell right there in that spot. He didn't. That's where he was standing. Um, when you get, came up on the bison – because I mean, I, I don't even know what that experience would be like. You know, I, I always think bison are so unique. It's almost like this prehistoric type animal. Um, you know, was it, was it significantly larger than what you anticipated? Like, I, like what was the process of yeah. caping that out? Or if you're on a ranch, can you bring a vehicle right up and kind of winch it up onto something? Or how do you even deal with something that large? Yeah, it, it's kind of overwhelming walking up to him. Um, and seeing how massive his head is just his his nose you can see right there that's bigger than my hand and uh you couldn't when we had he had kind of got his horn stuck under him we tried to roll him up it took all three of us to prop him and roll him just to get him setting up right and it, his head i'd say that head's over 100 and something pounds but we had a very fortunate we took the four-wheeler and a big car trailer and drove all the way out to him so we just winched him in the back of the trailer and uh drove down to my sister's house and used the uh the jack in the shop and just hoisted it up wow. so it the was so easy for for what this was i thought we were going to be out there quartering this thing out in the middle of the brush but luckily he was up on the hillside right near the the road they had yeah interestingly enough this meadow that they're in it's it's 300 acres and the 400 other side when i was 14 this is where i shot my first buck no way. Uh, yeah, I moved out of the area 20 years, came back, and uh, they they bought all that land. And now I was able to show my kids. I was like, this is where I shot my buck, right, just right over here. And it was pretty cool. That is that is super cool. Let me ask you guys another question, just because I don't know that we'll get to this question, like in the judges panel. But ethics in hunting is always has the ability to be a hotspot. But there is some clear rights and wrongs. And you know, things that I think we should all avoid. One of the things that I think our judges looked at and just from, from all the stories we've heard, you know, you guys really did everything um, the right way, but just want to ask if you guys encountered any 
scenarios this year where you faced an ethical dilemma um you know and an ethical dilemma can be a personal thing of like you know here's a bear and it's at a thousand yards and you don't feel super confident taking that shot or you have a tag for this unit and right as you're about to drive in and cross into your unit the biggest deer of your life is sitting right 20 yards on the other side of the fence you know just question for you you know cody i haven't started with you so i'm going to start with you did you face any ethical dilemmas this year and how, you know how did you respond yeah, it's it's like pick which one. I feel, I feel like there was so many things this year because I already alluded to the blacktail. Um, but during elk season, kind of the one that stands out is when we were chasing elk with my brother when he was the one carrying the tag still. There, we were chasing elk into the new piece of this property we had never been to. Just my brother and I. Uh, my dad was hanging back a little bit. We were chasing the herd. They were bugling and they were moving towards a corner. A private property on both sides of the other corner, you know, and they're headed towards this corner. We've never been into that area before. And uh, we chase them, chase them, chase them, finally catch up to the group. And it, it just, it doesn't look right. Like there's no fences anywhere. Um, we're just in the middle of old growth. And then all of a sudden it's slightly thinned and almost open. And yeah, it just, it doesn't look right, but the elk are right manicured. there. Like, yeah, like, like, like for a timber company, the property looks too nice is exactly what I kept telling my brother. Like it looks too nice. And so we're like whipping out the phone and you're like, I'm using, I have too many mapping softwares. I'm going through all of them, like looking at it, trying yeah. to figure out which way I'm looking, you know, and I'm, I'm telling him I, we might be right on the line. Like I was never worried about us having crossed the line, but it was more of, do we kill in this area? You know, I'm, I'm telling him, yeah. I think, I think the bulls on pub private, you know, half his cows are on public and it's like, ah. you know, we sat there probably if we hadn't hesitated, we probably could have killed, but we sat there. The bull was at 60 yards, maybe this entire time, the beautiful herd bull just sitting there bugling. And at this time, the group was all still together. So there's almost a hundred elk in this herd. And so they're all every, they're everywhere. And, uh, by the end of it, we kind of had decided that it most likely was not public land. You know, like we were pretty certain, even though the maps weren't lining up perfectly with what we were seeing in the field, that yeah. it, it was, it had to have been private. It was just too pretty. It just looked too nice. Like the trees were thin. There was grass in there. You know, like it just didn't. You were running through the forest where there's just old growth everywhere. Ferns everywhere. Limbs laying down. And then you get to a spot and you're like, this almost feels like a park, you know, but there's no fences or anything. Yeah. And so that was that was a time where you really sat there and you debate, you know, do we do we shoot him like he's he's probably on the fence you know technically but then you know then he runs into private and now you got to go try and ask for permission half his herd was in the private so the odds of him going that direction um you can call him back we tried calling for a little bit it just my brother even had a shot at 40 yards but the bull was like on the fence you know and it's it's just not worth it at that point like there's no reason to do that it's no reason is I mean, it's it's different with maybe a turkey the turkey falls dead where you shoot it you know but with an animal that can run off and then the person does not have to give you permission to go onto their land you know and then it it goes to waste and you got a whole nother set of ethics so yeah. that was probably the one that kind of sticks out to me but feels like there was a ton this year <laughs> no so you guys did not pull the trigger even though you were right in the middle of them yeah yeah no we had walked away from that herd listening to him bugle like they uh they slowly moved onto the private for like for sure like it was far enough away from us by the time we were out of there that i knew they were on private 
But yeah, no, we ended up just, it was getting dark at the same time. It's another after work hunt and it was getting dark at the same time. And my, my brother came over to me. He's like, they're not coming. Cause I had backed up trying to call to see if we could get them. If, cause well, the way the corner went, if you're looking like straight o'clock, the pro straight at 12 o'clock, the privates at 10. So I'm like, if you can get the bull to swing around to your three o'clock and you shoot, the odds are he will run into the public, you know, run away from the sound. And uh, so we tried that. It definitely didn't work, you know, and then the bull, he was not interested in us. And so at that point, we just, we made the call. Let's go. So we backed out. We'll come yeah. back, you know, and then it was, I think, three days later when we killed his bull. But it was, yeah. uh, we just made the call back out, you know, we can always come back. Yeah. Josh, how about you? Did you face any ethical dilemmas this season? We actually did in Wyoming. Wyoming is uh, super checkerboarded. Mm. So you really buy on Onyx map to figure out, okay, am I in the right spot? Can we, you know, like Cody said, can we actually shoot this animal? So the one decent buck we actually did see, you know, we're out in the middle of the desert, no fence, no nothing. And we glass up this, I don't know, probably 22, 23 inch wide three point. And he was right on a bluff. You know, we're like, okay, we, we got to close the distance because, I mean, it's, you know, a mile away. So we closed the distance and somewhere between that distance and to that deer, I'm like, we better pull out Onyx map and look. Sure enough, he was smack dab right in the middle of somebody's property with no fence. <laughs> so, yeah, we got pictures of him. We turned around and walked away. Okay. You know, I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, what is it is the truth, though. I mean, it's incredible the tools that we have. I mean, you go back 10 years from now, you know, and nobody would have known, you know, if that was public or not, you know, but we do have the tools now. And I think it says a lot when you have the opportunity, there's no fence, there's no signage saying, you know, keep out, you know, but you had an ethical decision that you made, you know, to, to back yeah. out when that was the only good deer you saw. Uh, like <laughs> how, say, many, how many days in were you when you when that happened we were i would say probably seventh or eighth day in so yeah. i mean it was like i say we were we were we were getting to the point to where you know we bounced around i mean hundreds of miles just trying to figure it out but we were at the point to where we were almost done i mean it's like you know you can only walk 10 miles a day every day and then find out you know there just ain't no deer here and then you finally see that one you know to find out it was on private property was kind of a heartbreaker <laughs> absolutely um okay ray did you face any ethical dilemmas right. this year yeah we'll we'll go back to the alaska trip um so a little quick recap um you can't like i was saying you we hunted archery and rifle but you could only use the the rifle after the five mile corridor so We'd park the truck and we'd hike out the tundra the five miles, then hit the hit the corridor and then you can start using rifle. But this whole way, we're seeing caribou after caribou, hundreds, thousands of caribou just in our faces, you know. And I'd say three and a half miles in, I saw in the video I just put up, um, three and a half miles in, we're uh, sitting there exhausted. Our legs are burnt. We're soaked. Um, we, we just want to take a nap and then hours have gone by and there's these nice two two nice little caribou bulls and then another big one five minutes later right at the three and a half mile line you know yeah and we're like you know you can't use rifle now because we're not past that line and but in the back of your mind you're like you're 
you're a uh, miles from civilization you know you think nobody's gonna know and nobody's gonna see this like we're close enough and all that goes through your mind you're like but i can't do it and um my son's there and i'm like you know what he he's anxious he wants to kill when i gotta explain to him the you know the lesson here so i turned it into an integrity lesson for him and then i explained to him how important yeah. this was not to not to just break the rules just to benefit you and get one of these nice bulls you know even when you They're know right. nobody's going to know, like nobody's ever going to know we have, you know, if we pull the trigger here, you know, the yeah. only people that will know is us. I mean, that's yeah, a big lesson. It is. We hadn't seen a car, you know, for two days and, and we're, 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 we're 60 miles from dead horse and 200 miles from the other town. And, you know, it, it easy enough to shoot shovel and shut up, but. So I told them we're we're just going to watch these guys. If they come with the bow, we'll get them. Um, this is a lesson that you know you got to be a good sportsman because that's the rules are here. Um, there's two things: if the rules are broken, you it's relentless. You're you're going to get your your butt handed to you, and also the rules are there for those animals. And you know, it's not fair to the animals if if we're out there slaughtering them with a rifle right in their migration path. Um, that's why the rifle's not used within that corridor is because they that's where they migrate. People just easily walk out of their truck and shoot one. They'd yeah. be decimated. So I was like, we gotta treat this this hunt fair, treat the animal fair and get out past the five mile line. And and we end up, you know, we got out there and end up shooting a dink. You know, nothing like the size of those ones we we had with a three and a half mile line, but it was more rewarding to know that we didn't break any rules to get that done. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Those, those are such good lessons. I love hearing that story. It's like when our judges were looking at your guys' applications, seeing your stories, the things that we want to celebrate in hunting is like, look, this isn't just a bunch of guys going out with guns and just shooting every animal they see, you know, this is, you know, these are guys that believe in conservation that follow the rules um, that want to teach the next generation how to do this and how to do this right. Um and I think that just shines out of all of you. And when I look at this batch of finalists, I'm so excited to be able to introduce you to the rest of the Huntley community for people to hear your story. When we think of the outdoorsman of the year and what that means to us, it is, it's meant to be the highest honor where it's, it's, man, this isn't just guys that had a successful season. These are guys that we want other hunters to emulate, to follow, and you guys can set an example and kind of pave the way for others. And you have done that. Each of you, you know, you've expressed stories just in this little podcast time together. Um, so the, you know, here we are, it is January 26th, February 11th is when we will announce the winner for the 2022 outdoors of the year. That day, we're also going to be highlighting several new leagues that every single day I want to get on a rooftop and start shouting what we're doing because it is so what is coming in 2023 is so freaking awesome. Like I cannot wait for you guys to like hear and how it involves family and how it, I mean, I, I don't even want to say anything because I'm so tempted to just say everything, but it is going to be awesome. 2023, you know, people need to tune in February 11th. Uh, we are, you guys, one of you guys is going to walk away with the title. Um, there's some other league sponsors uh, that we're going to be announcing for, for some of the new leagues that we've got coming. We've got some extra bonus, uh, I don't know, swag and surprises that are going to be thrown into the prize package uh, for you guys this year. Um, let me, let me just ask one more kind of closing question. Cause we're right up against the hour now. Um, 
what has what has this meant? I, I told you kind of what it means to me, like the outdoors in the year. You know, like we want to we want to feature these types of hunters. You guys are a representation of the type of hunters that we want to look for. You don't have to be a professional hunter. You don't have to be some Instagram hero. Um, if you could be an everyday guy that just is passionate about the sport and passionate about sharing your experiences with other. It's not a hunting contest. Um, this is a story based content. Taught you know, it's story based contest. Uh, but it's centered around hunting. But let's start. Uh, Ray, go ahead and tell us what does it mean to you personally to to be a finalist as we kind of head into this final stretch of the outdoors of the year. Well, um, it's it's kind of really surreal. Um, like you said, I didn't really join this app to to win anything. I thought I was going. Yeah, I think you contacted me and I joined it. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. I'll start posting things like um, like an Instagram. And uh, it, it started to dawn on me more after you contacted me a couple more times with what this app was. Um, but to be at this stage is very rewarding to me because I think that I've put in a lot of effort and sacrificed a lot of my family time and a lot of my social life was was given up to being in the outdoors and and everybody that's near me has had to you know i haven't gone to some birthday parties or my wife had to stay home for weeks with the kids while i'm out on these trips and i think it's it validates my um my passion for the outdoors because i'm the only one in my family that really does this and i'm out there every every week trying to look for some some new season to get into and i invest a lot of time a lot of money and it might not look good to a lot of uh, my family, like, oh, you're spending, you know, two hundred more dollars on a scope, but with people seeing, you know, I, I've kind of made it into some some part of this uh, recognition, reckon. Oh shoot, recognition. recognition. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it, I do think it validates the the efforts that I put in, and it's I'm not just being a, uh, you know, an antisocial person. This this is actually something that means something to me. I, I love that. I love hearing that. Years ago when I started kind of development of this, I mean, people don't really know the story, but I love, I ever, I grew up in a family basically of storytellers. Like we grew up traveling. Most of my formative years, I was touring on a bus for about nine months out of the year doing a stage show with my family, doing stories and like everything from making feature films and TV series, everything in my life has always been around story and feeling like, you know, the best way to uh, reshape the way people think is, is through stories. And uh, so when, when I started hunting, like all I wanted to do is capture the story of a hunt. Cause I was like, you know, people don't want to just hear how you go to the woods and kill something, but if they understood the story yeah. of everything that goes into it, it, it captivates you, you know, and it's like, and once you experience that for yourself, it's like, man, there is something that you connect to a deeper part of like how God created us. And not that he created us to be just like these bloodthirsty killers, but like, there's something that you gain an incredible respect for the animals that you hunt. You gain an incredible respect for the environment, the, you know, the, the habitat that these animals call home. That's so unforgiving. Um, you know, it's like, man, I just challenge people like, no, get out there and start making your own stories, document your stories. And I love seeing that in the Huntley Gap. But Ray, I think that was an awesome, It, you know, as somebody that's poured a ton 
into this app and building this over the last couple of years, seeing guys like you come into this platform and log hunts with your son and share those stories. Like it's meaningful to me. So I, you know, as the owner of Hunt League, founder of Hunt League, I just want to say, man, thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for sharing your story with us. You know, if there's any way, if this can add to a sense of, you know, it's not like that you need somebody to validate the fact that you're a hunter or anything like that. But if this is a way that can encourage you, encourage your son and family and let other people look up to you and say, hey, this is a guy to follow. You know, I'm excited uh, that we have the opportunity to kind of journey together in, the, in that, I guess. Um, Josh, Cody, that means you're going to go last. Josh, what does it mean to you to be uh, nominated as a finalist for the Outdoors of the Year? I think it means a lot. I mean, it, it, uh, me, it shows the hard work I've put into it. And at the beginning, like I say, you know, when Garrett told me to join, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just started winging it, but, uh, you know, hunting's always been a passion of mine and my family. So that's the nice thing about my wife, my son, they're out there, not, not quite 200 days, but they're out there probably about 50 to 60% of the time with me. So, we're always out there with each other, you know, uh, so to look back and actually be a part of this journey, it's pretty special to me. Well, man, I'm, I'm super grateful to have you again. Uh, Garrett was like, just look out and I, here you are a year into it. And uh, as one of the finalists, and it's like, you know, he saw something in you that said, uh, Man, this is this is one of those guys that like once people know who this guy is and they see that the work that he puts into this, you know, that you're going to be a standout. And, uh, you know, here you are a year into it. And obviously you're at a position where you're standing out amongst the crowd. So appreciate like it. I, said, I don't ever want to be the type of person that wants to be better than anybody. You know, I always want to be there to, to help people. That's that's my big passion is to is to put people first. That's that's what I enjoy. All right, Cody, hit us. What does this mean to you? Yeah, you're the you're so, the young buck in the in this <laughs> in the field right now. Yeah. So uh, it's like I said in my application, it it gives me the mama I made it kind of feeling. You know, like I didn't grow up doing this. You know, I, I picked up a bow for the first time five years ago. I think killed my first elk in 2020. Um, I'd never seen an elk until five years ago. You know, like it it. It just gives me like I'm just happy to be here to be honest like <laughs> like you know like it just five years ago I would have never thought something like this could happen you know I started I joined the app just because I thought I liked the idea I found it in 2021 but I didn't get into it and then it just I never thought something like this could happen it it gives me that set feeling of accomplishment just like these other guys you know we spend a lot of time doing this we sacrifice a lot of time from our families you know i have the most understanding wife in the world supports me doing this you know she didn't sign up for this when we got married when we got married all i did was turkey hunt and that's you know april and may and that's it you know and now i'm hunting almost a year round you know and she i keep finding things to add to it you know and it drives her a little crazy but it just it validates that my time has been well spent. You know, I've spent time on, you know, the Elk 101 course, Chris Rose course. Elk's my main thing. So that's where I spend a lot of my time. But yeah. I've spent so much time learning. I, 
I'm doing a letter campaign right now for permissions for turkey hunting, I call it, you know, trying to find stuff like I spend a lot of time doing this and it just feels good to know that it paid off to feel like I can hang with the big dogs because there are some dudes on here who are absolute killers. There's two of them right here. There's Garrett Weaver, who is how I found out about this app. You know, it's like and to know that I've I've learned enough to where I can hang with people like this. It, it's it just feels good. You know, it feels as though I've I've spent the time well. Dude, I love that. You know, one of the things too that, you know, and I'll, I'll just kind of close with some of this thought because we'll 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 have you guys will each have an individual interview where instead of like breaking it up where I'm asking one, two, three, you guys are gonna get a one-on-one -on -one solo 30-minute interview with the our five judges. You know, again, we have last year's winner, Bear Hunting Magazine, Vortex, Remington, and Mountain Tough. Those are making up our judges panel. You know, this is not a killing contest. It's a story-based contest that's revolving around hunting. You know, you guys are here on the as finalists, not just because you killed the biggest animal this year or not just because you killed. I mean, we've got pictures and posts of other things. I mean, maybe you, Ray, killed the biggest animal with a bison. I don't know. Unless somebody killed a hippo, like I don't know that anybody's going to beat that size. But uh you know, that's not really what this is about. It's a, and one of the things that I love is even having the three of you on at the same time, you know, this isn't a community where we're bashing each other. You know, I, I just look at that and I like, man, I love what we're building. And when I see a representation of the three of you as the finalists, to me, it represents like, man, our community and what we're building is moving in the right direction. Look forward to doing this again with you here soon. Any, uh, any closing words? Keep yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're mentioning about the, uh, how you're at your, this hunt league is growing. And what I really, really like about it is you can't find this atmosphere anywhere. Um, I can't, I don't feel comfortable posting on Instagram or Facebook of me and, an, and a bison, me and an animal down. I, I second guess every time I'm about to hit post on the, because they're not as welcoming and you come to this app and you're going to get a fist bump and a couple good comments and a couple good pointers. And it's it's so rewarding to be able to feel that our our passion and our our sport isn't looked down upon. You know, you can find actually community members that that are like minded, and you can't find that in any other platform. And I really like that that this was an option for me. Yeah, I I 100% agree because that's yeah. the reason I stuck around from the beginning is because uh, the community, it's like you go, say Facebook, for example, some dude posts that he killed his first deer and it's a spike and people are ripping him, you know? And it's it's like, why? That is the, the purpose behind our community is to support each other. And you post that on the Hunt League and people are thumbs up, fist bumping, cheering him on because they're just <laughs> stoked, you know? And that is the type of community that I wanna be a part of. That's why I stayed after I found the app. At first I figured it was, you know, just people posting they killed this 360 inch bull. And no, man, people are just as excited for the spikes. And that is what I love about the community. That's why I've been supporting you the way that we can is because I, I believe in what you're building. and. I got something on Facebook the other day. I just, it was just, again, you know, ripping on some new guy for asking a question, you know, and that's yeah. not the type of community we're trying to build. And uh, so, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with Ray. Like that's why we're here and why we all love hunt league is because of the community at the end of the day. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Well, Josh, if, uh, if we're voting on something, Josh, you have the coolest background. <laughs> <Agreed>. <laughs> What, what were you going to say, Josh? I think your audio cut out. 
I was going to say, I definitely agree with them. Like I say, I get a lot of hate mail on Instagram and Facebook. I mean, it's constant. You know, a lot of people don't agree with me anything. But uh, like I say, it's it's definitely fun, like going through everybody's logs. And, you know, if anybody has a question, they'll ask you. You know, I think Cody's asked me a few questions or something about Wyoming and stuff. So I, it's it's always nice to have somebody there that's, you know, either been there and done it. You can ask a question. They'll help you, you know you know, like Facebook, you'll get like some of those deer, uh, hunting organ, you know, stuff like that. They'll be like, Oh, they'll just send you laughing faces when you ask a question or something, you know, it's like, really? Yeah. But that's what I love about this. You know, you're, everybody's here to help everybody. That's what I love about it. Yeah. I will tell you what's been really, really encouraging the last couple of weeks, you know, from ATA to shot, um, meeting with these different companies and, and, showing them what we're building the amount of companies that are seeing what we're doing and seeing the community and watching like you guys specifically i mean they're looking at it going this is incredible like these are the types of things that we want to celebrate and be behind as a company and i can't wait to uh you know announce some of the new leagues that we have some of the new partnerships um we're going to do those announcements on february 11th but a big part of the reason why those things are starting to come together it's really because these companies are seeing the community and what we're building and saying, Hey, we want to be a part of something like this. Cause this is, this is a really unique uh, thing that, that you guys are building. And uh, you know, so I'm excited to introduce you to those new partners. Um, tell you about some of these new leagues. There's a lot to look forward to in 2023. So we'll wrap up for, uh, for this podcast and uh, we, we've gone over time and I kind of set my clock and said, all right, we're going to nail this one. But uh we got close. Join us live on Facebook and YouTube Saturday morning, February 11th at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. That is Super Bowl weekend, and the outdoors of the year is the Super Bowl for hunters. During the live event, everyone tuning in will have an opportunity to win and unlock the Hunt League League Pass subscription. We will be awarding well over $10,000 in prizes as we announce several league winners new leagues and sponsors for 2023 and ultimately crown the 2022 hunt league outdoorsman of the year we'll see you at the live event